0: Pastor Xavier Rees says, the simple truth
1: is, God wants to provide strength
0: to our weakness.
1: Every person is represented in this lame man. That unless God intervenes, we are doomed to live a life of frustration and hopelessness. God always provides the means by which to accomplish what He commands. If He tells you to walk, He gives you the ability. If He tells you to forgive, He will give you the ability. Now whether you take hold of the ability or not, that's a different matter.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Pastor Xavier says the simple truth is that we all have need of healing for our sinful nature, whether our weakness be our temper, pride, lust, or just plain self-righteousness. Jesus stands ready to cleanse once we humble ourselves and turn from sin. So with a message titled, Do You Want to Be Made Well?, Pastor Xavier uses the example of a lame man healed to illustrate how forgiveness is ours for the asking. Let's listen.
1: John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18, the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. It's a beautiful picture of each of us, in a way, as well as that of sinful humanity. In the text, there are three movements that we want to look to. Verse 1 through 4, you have the location of the healing. Notice first that the place is identified for us as Jerusalem. The place is the pool called in the Hebrew Bethesda, which means house of mercy. How fitting. Now, notice that the place was occupied by a number of people. Verses 3 and 4. Uh, these people are not the most desirable of society, uh, they are sick, blind. Lame and paralyzed. All these people and they're laying there. Now notice in verse 3 there at the end in verse 4. An angel went down at certain times and says into the pool and stirred the waters. And then whoever stepped into it first after the stirring of the water was made well or healthy of whatever disease he had. Now you have the invitation for the healing in verses 5 through 9. Now, notice the first and only question Jesus asked the man is Do you want to be made well? And so, look at the man's frank answer Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I am coming, another steps down before me. He is crippled. You can see him trying to crawl over as he sees the water stir, and that somebody steps on him or over him and beats him there. Jesus tells the man three things in verse 8. Arise, that means get up, take up your bed, the thin mattress that he was laying on, and walk. The scriptures tell us that immediately the man was made whole. He was healed, verse 9. Now notice the examination of the healing in verse 10 through 18. The Jews viewed the healing from the legal perspective. They communicated to the man that it was the Sabbath. Can you imagine? This guy's been around for 38 years like that. And all of a sudden, they see him not only walking, but carrying his bed. And the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, hey, don't you know it's the Sabbath? Something's wrong when somebody responds like that. You know what I mean? He says, a man made me well and whole. The same man commanded me to take up my bed and walk. They knew it was Jesus, but they wanted to gather evidence to accuse him and to put him to death. In verse 14, it says, Afterwards, Jesus found the man in the temple. The Levitical law always said when a man is cleansed or healed of something, he had to present himself to the priest. The priest would check him out, would keep him under observation for a few days, and then he would proclaim him clean. Here he is at the temple. And without that also, as he presented himself, he had to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, of cleansing and everything. And this should be our attitude as God touches us in whatever area, that we are thankful to him, that we return to him. Too often the gift that God gives to us or that which he does for us, we get so caught up in the gift, in the healing, in the work that we forget about God. We have to realize that the blessing is because of the person who blessed us. We cannot just get caught up with the event, with the situation, with the blessing. We must get caught up with the one who gave the blessing for that blessing to be meaningful. The man is told by Jesus that he has been made whole, that he recognized the mercy of God bestowed upon him. Jesus at this point is out to him. How often God has to point to you and me what he has done that we may acknowledge it, that we may recognize it. It's important that I recognize what God has done. Very, very important. As parents, we want our kids to acknowledge what we do for them. We don't want them to praise us, to glorify us, right? but we just want them to be a little appreciative, right? Just, just a little bit. Well, that's the picture of God. He just wants us to be aware of exactly what He has done. The man is told by Jesus also to sin no more, referring to a life of continuous sin. The implication is that his sin had been forgiven. These are the very words of Jesus that were told to the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery in John 8, 11. Woman, where are your accusers? She says, there are none, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The same words. So, forgiveness is implied. But also, notice the man is warned by Jesus. If in fact he did not turn from a life of continuous sin, there's a warning lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, the implication is that his infirmity was related to his lifestyle of sin in this particular situation. But we have to be real careful not to conclude that that's the fact for all situations. If you are diabetic, if you have epileptic attacks, or if you have whatever infirmity, it doesn't mean that it's related to a sin in your life. Now, in this particular case it was, and it certainly can in our lives. But we have to be careful that we don't attribute that categorically straight across the board for anybody who is sick. Or that we relate those illnesses to demon possession. They can be, but they're not categorically. So we have to be careful. As a matter of fact, the disciples asked Jesus on one occasion in chapter 9 of John, uh, verse 1 and 4, he says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus Answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be real in him. See, the Jews believe in prenatal sin. So if you were thinking about sin, you, you, you incurred it, the consequence in the, in the womb. And sometimes it's because of your doing, sometimes because your parents doing. Jesus says, no, no, no. Neither did this man sin, nor his parents. So it's not categorically across the board. Here, it is very direct. Whatever he was into was a result of his crippling. The implication also is that a worse condition could come upon him if he didn't turn from life of sin. But I think more than that, I think Jesus is implying here that the worst thing that can come upon him would be eternal separation from God. That of being utterly cast away to eternal separation from the presence of God. That is the worst thing. See, your physical condition in mind is only for a little while. We have to be careful that whatever happens in this lifetime that we don't get so bogged down, so bummed out and so depressed that we just say, oh man, there's no way to live. Listen, it's only for a little while. How do you compare your life to eternity? And we get so caught up with the physical and we get so drawn away by the physical that we forget the perspective of the eternal. Jesus says, there's the worst thing, eternal separation from me. That is far worse. And so the man departed and told the Jews that it had been Jesus who had healed him. So now the testimony turns to the glory of Jesus. But to an extent, the testimony turns to the hurt of Jesus because they don't like what he's doing. But Jesus himself gave him the ammo. (laughs) How interesting. Notice thirdly in verses 16 through 18 that the Jews viewed Jesus from a heretical perspective. In verse 16, they sought to persecute and kill Jesus because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Notice that Jesus declares that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, in Mark 2:28. You remember they accused him of the disciples of eating grain in that field that day? The Sabbath was made for man, that man might benefit from the Sabbath, that he might rest, not for the Sabbath to be a form of bondage to him. So they misunderstood the Sabbath. For Jesus even says that His Father still works and He works on the Sabbath. Can you imagine God took a day off? So it's not implying that, right? Jesus declared that the Sabbath was violated by the priests and the Levites who did service in the temple. He pointed that out in the Gospels. Jesus declared that the act of circumcising a child on the eighth day on the Sabbath was a violation to show their hypocrisy. Jesus pointed out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the scribes in that they loosed an animal to take him to drink water, and they got in a pit and pulled out their oxen who fell in it, and yet they wouldn't lift a hand to help a person. He says, "You guys are hypocrites. You guys are legalists." You find that in Luke 13:15 and 14:5. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 3, verse 4, um, Jesus asked if it was lawful to do good on the Sabbath day as they washed in the sea if he was going to heal the man with the withered hand in Mark 3, 4. Very neat question. Is it good to do on the Sabbath day? Is it legal? Is it right to do good? Of course it is, anytime. And so Jesus told him, verse 17, that he was one with the Father my father has been working till now I have been working now the Pharisees knew exactly what he meant because what follows is the discourse from verse 19 to 47 about Jesus declaring how he and the father are one And how it is actually the work of the Father that is being done. And they really are not accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, but they're they're accusing God the Father of breaking the Sabbath, and that He and the Father are one. And they knew exactly what He was talking about. Jesus was declaring that He was God. And that's why they sought to kill Him. For two reasons. First, Jesus continually broke the Sabbath. And the word broke there means to destroy, to do away with, as a continual violation of the Sabbath. This was their misunderstanding that it was being broken. It was this continuous practice. You read the Gospels, you can't help Jesus all the time. There was a person, I mean, on the Sabbath, he just hit him, he just healed him. And they drove these guys crazy. But notice, he made himself also equal with God. They understood this, making himself equal with God. Paul tells us that being in the form of God, Jesus did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant, the likeness of man, and he became obedient even to the death of the cross. And for this reason... God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. No one is superior. No one is above Jesus. Why? Because he is God. This is just one of many of the places that he declares that he is God. And the Jews didn't try to water it down. The Jews didn't skirt around it. They knew exactly what he meant. Today, people say Jesus never said it. Well, they need to read with an open mind. They need to read what it says, not what they think it says. The examination of the healing was through religious eyes. So they didn't care about the man. They certainly didn't care about Jesus, they wanted to find fault against Him and to charge Him because they were interested in being in control and in power. What an ugly picture of man. Man is always attempting to control his life, to control people, to control situations, and he can control very little, but yet he will ignore the work of God for the sake of his own perspective, for the sake of his own understanding, for the sake of his own glory, even as these religious men. The application to our life is very important as we look at this story. First of all, every person is represented in this lame man as having weaknesses through our sinful nature. That unless God intervenes we are doomed to live a life of frustration and hopelessness like this man. We are all sinners. Even though we're born again, we have infirmities, we have weaknesses, and we have to trust the Lord. It might be a temper for you. It might be a struggle with lust. Then you need to deal with it. You need to not cater to it. You need not feed it. You need to acknowledge it. You need to confess it. You need to abandon it. You need to walk in the Spirit. And maybe plain pride, which affects every part of your life. You've got to be right. You've got to be number one. You've got to be the biggest, the best, and everything else. Pride. But secondly, every one of us must equally answer the question Jesus asked the man, whether we want to be made whole or not. And that's on any level that we are at. We're not to be looking to the pool for healing, but to Jesus. Look to Him. We're not to be hesitant in our answer. We should be saying yes right away. And then we are to obey Him. As He commands us in His Word, to obey Him. You know, it's always interesting how people who have come to the Lord but they've never followed up in learning and growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, how they can compromise their lifestyle without being bothered by it at first because they're so ignorant of the Word of God. And then as they grow in the knowledge of Christ and the Word of God illuminates them, they realize, oh, I shouldn't be doing that, and how their life changes so much. The Word of God, so important. We need to obey it. Thirdly, every one of us have to believe God's word and walk. Don't tell him how hard it is to do what he's telling you to do. Don't tell him that he doesn't understand your past. Yes, he does. You know how he understands it so well? He understands so well he's buried it. He doesn't want you trashing through it. He doesn't want you grabbing stuff, smelling it, trying to identify it. You know, leave it alone. It's forgiven and forgotten. Don't go back. One thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing forward to the things that are ahead, Paul says. The problem with Christians is they're always running the race looking backwards, so they keep smashing into walls and tripping over things. And you know what trips you up? Your past. Let it go. It's forgiven, it's forgotten, it's buried. Do likewise. God always provides the means by which to accomplish what he commands. If he tells you to walk, he gives you the ability. If he tells you to forgive, he will give you the ability. Now, whether you take hold of the ability or not, that's a different matter. But God is not the author of confusion. God is always honored as we walk in the light and in the spirit. Because it is he who is doing it through us. Fourthly, every one of us must turn from our sin that so easily besets us and hinders us lest the worst thing come upon us. The author to the Hebrews declares that. That one sin that seems to trip us up, that one area that seems to be just, you know, uh, the last frontier, if you will. And so we're to do it, first of all, by acknowledging it. Don't justify it. Don't excuse it. Don't ignore it. Don't deny it. Just acknowledge it. Secondly, confess it. And thirdly, abandon it. That is only something you can do. And God will give you the ability. Fifth, every one of us needs to give testimony to the glory of Jesus for whatever He has done. On whatever level. The forgiveness of our sins may seem such a basic thing, but it isn't. It's an incredible accomplishment that I can assure and tell somebody that my sins, all of my sins, all of my wickedness, all of my depravity that I did in the past is forgiven. That'll catch somebody's attention. I know that it's forgiven. And only God can forgive sin. That I have the gift of eternal life, that I will never die that I know that I will be in the presence of God, I have that confidence because the minute I accept that I pass from death unto life. The fact that the love of God is shed abroad in my heart and I can do things that I never did, could do before. That I can look at people and I can allow myself to suffer loss. That I can do certain things because I yield to the love of God. What a testimony. But sixthly, every one of us may in fact receive persecution for our faith since Jesus is no longer here to receive it himself the scriptures are clear that if we suffer with him we shall also reign with him that's a promise this is what the prophets went through Jesus says we're in good company in the Sermon on the Mount when this happens don't freak out Peter says don't think it's strange This is the one thing that is put clearly before the believers by Paul as he went into his missionary journey. His first missionary journey, as he came back to confirm them, he said, listen, we must enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. Do you realize that Jesus never snowed the apostles? He told them exactly what was in store for them. He says, you have to die, and I'm going to die. Jesus lays it before you. If you're going to be a Christian, you're going to have a difficult time. Because when you come to the light, then you're going to have to change your life. You can't stay the same way you are. are, Your world may be all set up the way you wanted, and now you're born again, and you'll find out your world was all upside down. It needs to be turned right side up. And you have to make some changes. Not live with that man. Not live with that woman. Not take drugs anymore. Some difficult decisions you have to make. But he's there to help you make them. Seventh and last, every one of us, rather than walking away like the man that was healed, should go back and help others like us. Why? We know the pain and frustration of our own condition before Christ. Secondly, being merciful as God was merciful to us. This is the house of mercy, Bethesda. And then thirdly, to communicate the love of God I have something to give now the man here should have picked somebody up and put them in the water or at least brought them to Jesus God picks us up he redeems us he gets us up we forget all about the pool we came from well all the lame and blind and maimed and everybody's out there don't forget them somebody didn't forget you the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda the location of the healing was at Jerusalem at the pool of Bethesda house of mercy the invitation for the healing was honored he was immediately made whole and the examination of the healing was through religious eyes all they were concerned was that he had broken the Sabbath they weren't even concerned about the man What a tragic commentary on religion, and religious people, and people who are caught up in legalism, instead of the love of Jesus Christ.
0: Pastor Xavier Rees summarizing for us the simple truths illustrated by the story of a lame man healed at the Pool of Bethesda, and a warning of the religious pitfalls that can muddy the waters of the Lord's work. And that brings us to the conclusion of a study entitled, Do You Want to Be Made Well?, a message that you may just want to have a copy of your own on hand to hear again or pass along to a friend. As always, we can make it available on CD just by requesting one. Either mention today's date or once again the title, Do You Want to Be Made Well? Yours for including just $4 when you write to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. You know, it really means a lot when we hear from you, our listener friends, that our radio outreach has been a ministry to you. So please contact us soon, and when you do, let us know the call letters of this station. Next time, Pastor Xavier points to some more signs of the Apostle John, providing evidences of the simple truths of the Son of God. Hope you'll be along.